All right. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all. If you haven't already, turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. As we look at trying to define what is judgment, talking about judgment. None of us like to talk about judgment. In fact, most of us probably wouldn't want to go before a judge and be, have our life hanging in the balance based on what other people think or feel, uh, emotions. Um, that's one of the worst things that can happen. That's why we have the judicial system that we do because it's supposed to be fair and impartial. Uh, but the more that we look at our society, we see that it's harder and harder because everybody is judging people before they even get to a courtroom. Martin Luther, in the beginning of his, uh, his commentary on Romans, he, he talks about Romans and he says, Romans is the clearest gospel or Paul's clearest example of the gospel in all of the Bible. And what he was really talking about is, is that Paul unwraps the fullness of the gospel in such a complete and thorough way. He wants us to know every aspect of the gospel, not just like we hear a lot of people saying today that Jesus loves you. There you go. I shared the gospel with you. And you're like, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus do more than that? And what is love anyway? And, you know, because love today can mean anything. And so, and that's what we're looking at is what is judgment? Um, what is being judgmental? And sometimes we hate that when our sin is exposed and, and we don't like it and we get emotional about it and we say, well, you're just being judgmental. Well, that may be true or it may be that God is just exposing our sin. What is, being, what is judgment? What does it mean to be under God's judgment? And we want to clearly define that. And we want God's word to define that. We don't want it just any old person just to decide what judgment means. And that's what we see going on in our society today. We talked about last week in, in, in Romans. And so we're going to look at Romans 2. We're going to look at a little bit of last week and then look at two more aspects of what is it? What is judgment? And it's based off of God's truth. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Would you pray with me before we read our text and ask God to bless it? Lord, as we look at this idea of judgment and what does it mean and how is it defined, Lord, I pray that you would just simply reveal your truth. Help us not to ignore it or to add to it or but that the sum of your truth, the sum of your word, would expose what the answer is. May you help us to understand this. And help your, I pray that your spirit would give us clarity in an age in which people are making things very unclear, trying to deconstruct or to tear down your truth so that way they can make it whatever they desire it to be. Help build a foundation that we need to understand the power that is in the gospel, the good news that you came to take care of our sin, that you lived a perfect life to become the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to the point of death, death on the cross, to be the payment for our sin. 
And you rose again and conquered death by your goodness. And you took all of our sin that you might give us your righteousness. Not our good deeds, but Lord, your perfect deeds. Lord, may we learn today about this idea of judgment and what does it really mean. And may, Lord, we be honest before you. Thank you for your word. And may we listen intently to it. In Jesus' name, amen. We know that God has turned his back on sin, on those that would rebel against him. And he gets to chapter 2 and he brings out this idea of judgment and the fact that he is judging mankind because of their sin against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, therefore you... He's talking mainly in context, mainly to Jews, but he's talking to everybody else that would seek to live based on righteousness and their righteousness or self-righteousness or moralistic good behavior. Say, I'm good. And that's who he's talking about here. He says, therefore, you are without excuse, O man, everyone who passes judgment for in which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the very same things. And he knows that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those, and we know this, who practice such things. But do you presume this, O man, who passes judgment on those who practice such things, and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly and suppose And presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. We talked about some of what we saw last week on the principle of God's judgment, and that is this. In verse 2 he says, And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Rightly. The word rightly means according to truth. And that's the very first principle that we talked about, that God's judgment will be based on his complete truth. Uh, Judging is not horizontal. It's not based on what we see or feel or emotions. Judgment is not emotional. It's not circumstantial. Judgment is right when it is righteous judgment. When it's judgment that's based on truth. That's the importance God is not so concerned about being judgmental and creating this perfect man on the outside, a shell of a man, but is rotten to the core. There was an example that I didn't share with you last week, but in one of the commentaries it mentioned the fact that if you know uh, Queen Elizabeth or the, the, uh, the boat, uh, or the Queen Mary, uh, it's at the docks in, in, down in California at Long Beach. And they've turned it into a museum, into a hotel, and a restaurant. I've eaten there, and I've gotten to eat there in the restaurant. It's, a, it's an amazing ship. It's huge. But here's the reality. When they went to restore it, they motored in in one piece. And as they were going to, they said, well, we're going to re... You know, they found some rot on one of the stacks that, you know, where the, all the steam would billow out. And so they were going to take the stack apart and clean it up and put it back. 
And as they began to take apart the stack, the whole thing crumbled. It completely just disintegrated right before their eyes. What they had found was is that over they had painted that smokestack for 30 years, layer after layer of paint. In all this time, for I don't know, they don't know how many years, but there was no metal. It was just paint, layer after layer after layer, holding that stack together. It's amazing. It's amazing sometimes how we feel like our life is held together because we've just added layer after layer after layer of our own goodness and we think our life is all together. And then one day it just comes shattering to the ground because of a circumstance. And we learn that God's judgment is not based on this horizontal judgmental kind of emotional circumstantial base it's based on the heart it's based on God's truth good God's judgment in Romans is is based on man's rebellion man thinks where is God's judgment I'm not experiencing any any judgment so I must be okay everything's hunky-dory I'm just going through life yeah I've stubbed my toe a few times but I'm making it I'm making money. I've got a car. I've got a house. I've got stuff. I'm just being as good as I can. I don't see God's judgment. And this is really the life of a lot of Jews. And in Israel at the time when Paul's writing this, and Jews that were in the church in Rome, and they had built their whole life on the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. In Galatians we see, and other scriptures we see, and in Acts, and and they're, you know, they're, they're talking about, we are, our father's Abraham. Who's your father? We were born out of Abraham's seed. We're God's chosen people. We have, we were given the law. We know what's right or wrong because we have the law. We don't just have the Ten Commandments now, but now we have 14,000 commandments. The Jews took all the Ten Commandments and expanded and kept making new laws. And they kept adding and adding and adding. And they're like, we are good. The Gentiles are not. The world is not good, but we are God's good people. And as we come to the text, Paul is saying, look, good is not good enough. It doesn't work. And we get to verse 3. And we see why part of one of this, not only is God's judgment first and foremost based on his complete truth, but we see this other aspect that God's true judgment is inescapable. And let me explain that. We say, well, yeah, all those people that we see in the world that are doing all of these horrific things, they will not escape God's judgment. Judgment is coming. You can laugh now and you can have fun now, but eventually you're going to get your comeuppance, Right? Sometimes we feel that way. We get so mad at what we see in the news. We get so mad at what we see in politics. We get so mad. You know, now it's getting to the point where everybody's so mad at politics. It doesn't matter what party you're in. You're just mad at politics. Right? And it's just getting, and everybody's like, that's okay. Eventually they will get their just due. But the reality is, is that God's, Judgment is inescapable. It, it, no one is 
has an excuse, everybody is going to be judged. And it's interesting, as you look at verse 3, it says, but do you presume this, or do you think this, or do you suppose this? And the idea is, do you imagine, or have you evaluated in your mind, and think that somehow you're going to escape judgment? You know, the word suppose is the word logizmai, which means logic. Have you ever taken logic in math class? Right? I liked logic. It was very easy. If I just know what A is, then B and C, and it's just easy, right? I, there's just, it's inescapable. There's this process. And the idea is, is that it's a mathematical word that's used in bookkeeping. It's just logical if, if all these things line up. And it's described of making an entirely, this whole entry in an account book or log. But it's often used during uh, the Greek time, it's often used metaphorically or figuratively where numbers are not in question in meaning to take an account of or to reason with. So what's happening is, is the Jews in this group of people have, are reasoning and saying, well, well we're not going to be held accountable because we're good. Yes, God, all those people that you mentioned that have turned their back on God, that think that, you know, hey, you know, we haven't seen God's judgment, but they're sinning and they're just sinning more and more and the sinning is getting greater and greater. And he says, but we're going to escape that. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. It's inescapable. In fact, the word escape, you know, the word here literally means exemption. Really what it's saying is like, we have an exemption. We have a past. We're exempt from all judgment. And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 hold on. When we read escape, he's not really saying that they've just, they're acquitted from being judged for their sins, but that literally they have no exemption. And that's really what the Jews thought. And, and a lot of moral, good, self-righteous people think, oh, well, I'm exempt because looking, I'm not as bad as everybody else. I do good things. And so I'm exempt from true judgment. The, real, the reality of this is really the greatest illustration of this is seen in Proverbs 16.5. Listen to what it says. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in the heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. The idea here is, is because a person is proud, and the word arrogant there is proud presumption. He proudly presumes too much in his favor, especially in this sense of authority. Because the person is proud, he asserts his own will to the point that he actually begins to rebel against authority that's over him. And that's what we see. That's what Paul is talking about here. But do you presume, presume this? Because really, in your heart, you're just as guilty as everyone else. This is the reality about judgment. But he doesn't stop there. I, it goes with the same principle. Is, is, is that God's true judgment is inescapable. And you're not acquitted just because you presume you're a good person. But God's true judgment is according to his right timing. Paul's addressing many of people who, by outward call or 
outward appearance and observation, even declaration of God himself, appear to be the apple of God's eye. Like in Zechariah 2.8, it talks about that the Jews felt that God was the apple of, you know, we are the apple of God's eye. We're good. We're right. We have God's righteous law. But then we read about what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 2 through 3, he says this, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We know that God is coming back, that he will return. And he says in verse 3, While people are saying there is peace and there is security, and suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains as it comes upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. It's just going to happen. It's going to come in God's timing. No one's going to escape. The word think lightly, in, chapter, in verse 4 it says in our text, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness? The idea of thinking lightly is to despise something, to look down on as inferior, not worth consideration or care. Now watch this. The good self-righteous person holds to a high view of the mercy and love and kindness and forbearance and patience of God, but they don't realize what it's there for. A good person, a self-righteous person, is one who never wants to think about his own sin and pending judgment. They have this huge, they say, well, look at all of God's goodness. Look at God loves, and God does this, and God does that, and look how kind he is, and gracious, and merciful. So therefore, I must be exempt. Maybe you feel this way. Maybe you realize, man, God has really blessed me. Nothing's really that bad. You know, I'm not really a bad person. I don't do all those bad things. I, I, you know, I just speed a little bit, right? I only, you know... I wear my seatbelt most of the time. Yeah, it's like when I get to Mountain View. <laughs> I'm telling on myself. But <laughs> it's like, you know, my kid's like, Dad, you're not wearing the seatbelt. I'm like, oh. you know, yep, you're right, son. But here's the thing. It's like, mo- you know, we're mostly good. We're, God's blessed. Nothing really bad has happened in my life. And things are good. I have good food. I have good meat. I have a good family. God's, you know, people give me good counsel. And I have health. It, It's very common for people who have obtained a level of peace or success to be thankful and say, man, I'm I'm really thankful for God's kindness and all this. But we presume upon it to the detriment of the truth that God still judges sin. And people say, well, God is all these things, and so I'm exempt from the judgment that's coming on sin because God is so kind, he's so gracious, He's not going to really care. I mean, yeah, I've told a white lie. I've done these things. But I'm not that person anymore. I'm a good person. And, you know, I, really, I love God. I've, I've gone to church. And my family's gone to church my whole life. I mean, I was born in the church. And all these kind of things. And I'm all these, right? And we make all these excuses of why I'm good. And Paul is saying this. And why? And he's literally, it's in the, the question is in the text. It's like, well, why do you think so lightly of the riches that God has given. The misunderstanding and failed application is that since God has been so good to me, he's just going to accept me as I am. 
It's a misunderstanding of the text. You know, you know, they always say Jesus did this and Jesus did this, and he's, he went to and he, he met with tax collectors and he and, and that he you know sat and he ate with sinners, so he must accept all of them. No, he loved them, but we always forget to read all of it. Let me give you an example to illustrate this idea of presuming again, presuming God's kindness and realize that it's actually God judges rightly at the right time. In John 3, or I'm sorry, John 8, verses 3 through 11, you're going to recognize this. Talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, they have brought a woman that they caught in the middle of adultery. Right in the middle of adultery. I mean, she is guilty. There's no ands, if, or buts about it. And they're going to try to catch Jesus because he's met with sinners. They're trying to find a way to discredit Jesus. And he says this, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman that they had caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? How would you like to have to answer that? Well, in the Bible, in the Law of Moses, in Leviticus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it says if a woman's caught in adultery, stone her. Right? So what do we do? This, now listen to this, I like it because the Holy Spirit always knows our heart. He knows our attention. That's why God judges rightly. He knows the truth. Everything's based on truth. It's not based on how we feel. But verse 6, it says, This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down. He wrote with his finger on the ground. doesn't say what he wrote. He wrote something. And this is what he, and it says, And they continued to ask him. He stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. So whoever's perfect here, okay, you have the right. Pick up the stone and throw it at her. So he's not saying that they haven't judged her correctly. She was found in adultery. But he's talking about the condemnation, condemning her to death. And he says, okay, so you who are perfect, go ahead. And once more he bent down and he wrote something else in the ground. But when they heard what he said, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And that's where everybody loves. They love to stop right there. Look, he didn't condemn her. He didn't judge her, right? We shouldn't judge one another. But we fail to look at the rest. Jesus stood up and he said to the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, Jesus said, No one, Lord, and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. He wa- he's like, here, you need to turn from where you were. And, and he knows her heart. He knows her. He knows what's going on on the inside. He doesn't care what's going on on the outside. 
He cares about what's going on the inside so much so that he said, now turn from where you are right now and go and sin no more. Go in a different direction. There's judgment there. There's a response. The Lord doesn't always accept people just the way they are. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You who are the pure eyes, then to see evil cannot look at wrong. God doesn't like to look on sin. He wants us to turn from sin. He doesn't idly say, yep, yep, you're a sinner, you're okay. You're acquitted because you're, you're mostly a good person. He says, don't think lightly about God's kindness or the timing of God's kindness. He's longing and he's waiting for you to turn to realize that you have been judged rightly according to his truth. So respond to that and turn to him. He calls people as they are. He calls them. He invites them as they are. But then he judges them on who he is. You see the difference? He doesn't just accept everybody as they are. He calls everybody. Don't think that the call for everybody is acceptance. He doesn't accept our sin. He calls us to him, though. He says, come. Right? It's like my dog when he's doing something wrong. I call him. If he doesn't come, he's in the doghouse. If he comes, then he gets praised and loved and taught and disciplined. Right? But I always want him to come to me. But if he doesn't listen, he's judged. Right? Calling doesn't mean acceptance. Calling is an invitation to come and to change. The providential goodness of God towards a person is not an endorsement of that person's condition. It's designed to lead people to repentance. What the good person doesn't realize is that God's kindness and patience and his true tolerance, not like the world thinks tolerance is. God's tolerance isn't like, okay, I accept all of your sin and you are going to now teach that it's okay. He says, no, it's not acceptable. Your sin is not acceptable and I'm going to judge it based on who I am and on truth. But he's, he's saying the good person doesn't realize that the kindness and patience and tolerance is so then that way they have the opportunity to repent and turn to God. To respond to his judgment, his truth. You know, the Greek word repent means to change one's thinking. But today we have a lot of people that say you don't have to change your thinking. You can just do whatever you want. But that's not what judgment is. That's not God's judgment. God will judge justly and rightly. It's the other way is, is the term in the Greek is literally about face. You know the military? When you say, when they give a command and they about face and they turn and go in an exact differently direction. And it's to condition them that when they're used to hearing a certain command that they immediately turn. It could save their life someday when they're on the battlefield. And God is saying here, he says, don't mistake all my patience and kindness and love towards you as acceptance 
but as an opportunity for you to turn to me. Listen to Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Listen to what the grace of God, God's gift, God's grace, His unmerited favor, His giving us something that we don't deserve, time, kindness, to respond to Him, to repent, and to really to be saved from our sins. God gives us the time He's calling. He wants us to respond to Him. Listen to verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see what grace does? It brings us to salvation so we can experience to get away from the world and what the world believes judgment is and to escape, to really to escape true judgment so that way we can be his people. Judgment is in his own timing. It's not based on how we feel. It's not, sometimes we think we're going to escape judgment just because everything is good. So what do we do with this? As my professor used to say, so what? (laughs) Here's the conclusion. Don't let your good life and God's goodness confuse you. We think no judgment is happening because God is such a loving God. Truth is, God's wrath is on the way, and the time gap without judgment is a time gap for repentance. It's an opportunity to repent, to get our hearts right with God. God is coming, just like I said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. While people are saying there's peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains and they will not escape. It just, it's going to happen. It's not going to happen when we think it's going to happen. It's not going to be happened based on what we want it to happen. I mean, I, if it's, I mean, I, Lord can come tomorrow, then I don't have to worry about the Seahawks anymore. Right? <laughs> the true pandemic will be over in a few months. It'll be okay. I'll go home and fall asleep and not worry about anything. <laughs> so, yeah, don't let this confuse you. Here's the other thing. Have a right view of the gospel. Have a right view of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us the right view of the gospel. Verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of God's judgment. I'm not ashamed of what God did. I need it. Why? For it, that is the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, but the righteous will live by faith. We are sinners 
Do you understand what Paul is? Paul is saying none of us are going to escape God's judgment apart from the gospel. There is nothing good, and he's going to tell us that in chapter 3. There is none good, none righteous. Are you living your life based on your righteousness, your goodness, or are you living it based on him? The power to change your life is in the gospel. Paul is talking about that he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power to living a righteous life. Being a good Christian is not make your life righteous. Loving God and the gospel in which he saved you produces a right life. It is the power to a righteous life. We need to grasp the true need of the gospel to gain the blessing and strength of the gospel. We're just sinners. That's why we treat each other so well. That's why we can be more of a family. The more we realize and we stop underestimating the gospel and we live according to the gospel, we are more a family when we live according to the gospel. We need a savior. The only reason God is not right now pouring out his wrath which we deserve, is because he is giving people time to repent. And he's using us. He says, go make disciples. Share the gospel. Take the message of the gospel, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Some are still presumptuous and arrogant, thinking that you are beyond God's judgment just because things are okay right now. Don't be that person. Wake up every morning and confess to the Lord who you really are. Let him change your heart from the inside out. Don't be like the Queen Mary and just your smokestacks disintegrate because you've put 30 years of, of whitewashing of church on your life. I'll never forget, I had a, a, a guy who was with us in Israel. He had gone to Masters. He was in his third year of Masters, and he was in Israel with us. And all of a sudden, he came to the realization he is just living his life as a good person. And because he was a good person, he was saved. And he realized, oh my goodness, I've been basing everything on just being a good person. And I've never surrendered my life to Christ. It's been all about me, what I want. He said, I, I, I've been told my whole life, if I just say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved. Oh yeah, I invited Jesus into my heart, but then he realized, wait a minute. I've never responded to Jesus. I've just made Jesus who I want him to be. May that not be you. May you not presume lightly on God's kindness. That's the difference between belief and faith. Do you have a knowledge of God or do you have a relationship with God? Surrender to God and let him take ownership of your heart. Be, then you have the power of the gospel to deal with the sin in your life. It's no longer your good deeds, but it's God's good deeds living through you, whitewashing all of those evil things in your heart. Which person are you? Don't 
be presumptuous. Lord, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for defining what judgment really is. It's not based on ourselves. It's not based on how we feel. It's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on our goodness and trying to be good, doing all these things, serving people just so that we were good and feel good. But Lord, it's based on the gospel. Lord, may we surrender to that gospel. May we not try to just be a good person, but Lord, may we live according to the truth that we are not good people and we need your goodness. So Lord, thank you for that, that what you did in, in that one time when, when we surrendered our life and we said, yes, I need that work that Christ did on the cross where he paid for my sins. I'm acknowledging that. I cry out to the Lord. I'm repenting. I'm, I'm surrendering my heart. And, and I realize that I did that, but Lord, may we live confidently every day based on that truth that I am not good, but Lord, you are great. Your work is great. Your work on the cross is changing my life every day and sanctifying us. That means that, Lord, you are changing us every day to look more and more like you. That it's your goodness coming through because of the power of the gospel to change our lives. As a believer, our lives change because of you, not because of us. So Lord, if somebody's here and listening and watching today and they realize, man, I've been just judging my life based on how I feel and that I'm just a good person, but I realize that I'm under God's judgment and under his wrath and I'm just like everybody else and deep down in my heart, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to respond before time runs out and that this morning that they call upon you and they repent and turn to you for forgiveness of their sins and that they would be saved this morning, renewed and refreshed, given a new life, a new cre- be a new creation in Christ because of what Christ has done for them. May they have that newfound relationship this morning. For the rest of us, may we live our life based on that gospel, based on the grace that you've given us and not on just being a good Christian. May judgment be defined by you and not by our good deeds and live humbly, being obedient at one day when kneel before our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, exalting and glorifying him. Lord, what a day that'll be when we are in heaven together, when we all get to heaven. We rejoice, not getting to do everything we want to do, but just simply looking upon our Savior and worshiping you. What a day that'll be. In Jesus' name we pray.